It's so great to be with you. My name's Dan. I'm a priest. I work for St. Albans Diocese with, with Tim and Kate. Tim's at, at the back there. And you used to come to this church. I worked out about 15 years ago. My wife and I started a little church in Hitchin called The Hub from, from here. And as a special guest today, I've, I need someone to do the Bible reading. And Sue, give Sue a round of applause. Sue, why don't you come up? <coughs> Sue... I really love Sue because when we started our church, there was only six of us. Like, it was basically me, my best mate, and my mum, uh, and that was how we started our church. Um, but Sue was the first person that, like, we didn't know from before to join. So she's an incredibly brave woman, and um, you need to pray for her. But Sue, why don't you, um, you come to this church now. Why don't you read our Bible passage from yeah. Psalm 34, and then we'll get into it. Okay. Hello. Psalm 34. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. The faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encompasses around those who fear him and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children. Listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects them all in his bonds. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The force of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. Thank you so much, Sue. That was wonderful. If you're looking at me today and thinking, he looks a bit tired, probably the reason why I made that little wardrobe malfunction earlier. Um, myself, Tim and Kate, along with lots of young adults from around the diocese, have went on a pilgrimage last week. And we did the um, Camino de Santiago. Does anyone know what that is? Just put your hands up. Few people. It's basically a pilgrimage across northern Spain. Now, we didn't do the whole thing. We did about 100 kilometers of it. And actually, I've got a photo of um, Tim and Kate at the end at the cathedral. There's Kate there. She's just learned to use an iPhone for the first time. So she's, she's really excited about that. But they look far more glamorous today than we did at the end of that walk, I can assure you. Um, and it was a hard walk. And it took energy out of us. And we learned a lot. We learned about, a lot about God. We learned a lot about ourselves. But I also learned a lot about Tim and Kate. So let me just share that with you just for a few moments. The first thing to say is that as a couple, 
They are just incredibly cute. Does anyone else relate to that? They have the best marriage um, in the world. Like, they're just so cute the way they are together. I'll put the photo back up. I think people really need to, like, live with this. Um, <laughs> the second thing I noticed is that the secret to their success in marriage is that Kate is absolutely the boss. <laughs> Again, you can probably all relate to that. Um, She's in charge, and she took charge of the trip, which was wonderful. And the third thing is, um, Tim, despite his perfect appearance and um, seeming like the perfect guy, he snores. I was in the room next to him. He snores incredibly loudly. <laughs> and there he is. And so I want to talk a little bit about this idea of pilgrimage today, this idea of going on a journey. And of course, we know with pilgrimage, don't we, that it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And the journey we went on was challenging. But when we think about our lives, when we think about our own journeys, on the one hand, there's these moments where we arrive at the destination and we feel like life's great, but also life can be hard. So we're going to reflect on that for a few moments. And it was really interesting the way in which I felt God spoke to me about the passage that, that we had for today. I was going to speak on something else, and I spoke to Johnny in the week. And we had a really good conversation. And he said, have you listened to my talk from last week? And, and I hadn't listened to it, but I prayed and got this Psalm 34. And then I listened to Johnny's talk, and it's almost like what God wants me to say is part two of what he said last week. Now, I know you're all listening intently to Johnny, and you could recite exactly what he said last week. But he said, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all things. So as we explore Psalm 34, I'm going to tell you about three journeys I've been on in my life. One, a long walk, the Camino. The second one, a journey in a car. The third one, a journey in a bus. And we're going to pull three things out of this psalm that I believe God wants to speak to us. So let's just pray real quick. Let's just take a few breaths as we get into it. <coughs> Loving God, you are the God of our pilgrimage. We pray in faith, in hope, in expectation that you would speak to us today as we explore these wonderful words from Psalm 34. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless amongst the ruins. God is not helpless amongst the ruins. I was on a bus. I don't get buses very often, but it was a bus from the center of Sydney back to where we were living at the time during the pandemic, um, about 40 minutes away. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't the easiest time of my life. Like, I was definitely struggling with my mental health. <clears throat> the pandemic had hit. I was in a different country. I felt isolated. I felt a long way from my family. My dad had... Um, not been well at this particular time, and I literally couldn't fly out of Australia to go home. I traveled all that way. I'd gone to do this job, and it was just really hard. And the other thing to say is that in Australia, on the one hand, the pandemic was, was okay. There wasn't that many cases in the early days, but they were incredibly strict. So we had, like, the army on the streets. You'd go for, like, exercise, um, your free time at the beach, which was great, but you'd have people, like, walk along the beach, making sure that you weren't laying on the beach, that you were exercising, so someone would come along and you'd run into the sea. Um, it, was, it was an incredibly strange time. And what it did was create anxiety and create pressure. And I remember just getting on this bus, having to go into the city. I didn't want to go into the city. I didn't want to be anywhere near anyone. I didn't want to catch anything. And, and I was particularly anxious. And I got on the bus. I, I got on it early. 
went up to the top deck and I thought, oh, I'll look out the front, that'll be nice. And I don't know if you've done this, um, perhaps put your hands up, but I spread myself out so that no one sat next to me. Do, do other people do that? Oh, good, you're much better than the first lot. They were all saints in the first service. Um, <laughs> and, and so I took my jacket off, put that over the chair next to me, got my laptop out, got my bag out, and just spread out as much as I could. The problem was I could see a line of people waiting below, and the bus filled up and up and up, and more and more people started getting on the bus until it felt like there was only one seat left next to me. Incredibly annoying, and I knew what was going to happen, and so I, um, I just prayed. I was like, God, please don't put anyone next to me today. I'm just not in the middle. I'm supposed to be an evangelist. I don't want to talk to anyone about my faith today. I'm just done. Please don't put anyone next to me. And sure enough, within seconds, I hear some, those kind of footsteps behind me along the bus, and this young girl comes and sits next to me, and I was really annoyed, and she said, oh, can I have that seat? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I took my, um, <laughs> I took my jacket, took my bag, kind of squashed up. And then I began like passively, aggressively replying to emails because I was really annoyed that someone had come and sat next to me. And I was really angry at God. I was like, God, why have you done this? I'm not going to talk to her. I just want to get off the bus and get home. Now, we went from stop to stop. I carried on replying to my emails. And then um, after about 18 stops, I said to her, excuse me, I'm going to need to get up. And interestingly, she was getting off at the same stop. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what's going on here. We got off the bus, and in my kind of mixture between Cockney and Australian accent that you'll probably pick up that I've got, um, I said to the bus driver, good on you, mate, as I got off. And, um, and then she said, thank you and goodbye to the bus driver. And when she said that, I could tell, I don't know if you've had this when you've traveled abroad, but I could just hear that English accent like straight away. It's like when you're out of England, it, it becomes even more tuned into your ears. And so I said to her, I looked at her, I said, you're English. And she was like, yeah, <laughs> slightly freaked out that this person was saying, and I wouldn't normally do that to people. Um, but it wasn't just that she was English. I could tell that her accent was kind of from this area, that she was from around where I lived. I said, where, where are you from? She said, oh, I'm from near Luton. And I was like, I know Luton, um, whereabouts like in Luton? And she slightly freaked out at this point, um, but told me that she was from Hitchin. I was like, I used to live in Hitchin. Like I lived there like six months ago, a year ago. And she's like, no way. So we ended up walking back to near where we lived and having a conversation. And actually we started this little evening service at our church and she ended up coming along to that and exploring faith uh, along with her partner and came around for dinner with me and Alex and all of that. And it's a wonderful story, but in a way like, what, what it says to me is that however we feel, however crushed, however broken, however difficult life is, God is moving. Theologically speaking, we believe that God is out there and he's working in the world. And we're invited to join in with what he's doing. God is out there working in the world and we're invited to join in. And that's what... That's what that said to me, and it was funny, at the end of the first service, like, people came up and, and prayed for me and encouraged me after I spoke, and the Rodwells, I don't know if you know them, um, who I've known for years, came up and said, you know that story isn't so much about that young lady becoming a Christian or exploring faith, it's about God using you in the most broken of places. And I, like, I can relate to that. When we're crushed, when we're broken, when we're in the mess, God is not helpless amongst the ruins. So that's the first journey. And the first point I want to make is God is working in the ruins. In verse 18, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And that's kind of the context of the passage that we heard read today. 
It's attributed to David. We don't know if David actually wrote it, but we know that it's most likely about David's life. And it was written to speak to the people at the time as a commentary on what had happened. But I also believe that it speaks to us today. And as we dig into it, it's really interesting to understand what's happened at the time. So David is kind of fleeing, or it just comes just after David's fleeing from Saul. He's on the run. He's been through this really difficult time. He writes this psalm when he's kind of relieved. I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments where you, you've come out of something that's really difficult and you take a deep breath and go, oh, we had that with our pilgrimage, like this you know, leading a trip of so many people around Spain and, and all of that, and this moment of like, oh, it's over now. And, th and that's what's happening to David when he writes this thing. He was crushed, his spirit was crushed, but he wants to say to God's people, and he wants to take time to write this psalm and say, God is working in the ruins. In that time of brokenness, in that time of hardship, God was with me. And it's interesting, the kind of literary device that he uses is, is like an acrostic poem, is anyone familiar with acrostic poems? You probably did them when you were at school. Um, I used to do it when I was laying in bed. It was a bit sad. But you, he, he's basically taken every... I didn't do it with the Hebrew alphabet. But he's taken every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each of the lines of the psalm begin with one of those Hebrew letters. And so what David's doing is trying to say something deliberate. On the one hand, it's the psalm of relief. It's a heart cry. He wants to share what God's done in his life. But he's also being really deliberate in the way that he structures the poem. It's an acrostic poem. And I'm going to give you, um, just to make, make the second point, a cheeky bit of Hebrew. So it's going to come up on the screen. Um, don't say you don't learn anything at church. But, but, but then comes this word, this phrase, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you're crushed, when life's been difficult, when you've got nothing left and you've been redeemed from that, and that's what happened to David, stop, taste and see, taste and notice that the Lord is is good. And the word in Hebrew there is the word tam. So on three, let's try and say it together. One, two, three, tam. It's not pronounced anything like that, but well done for giving it a go. Um, you can actually look it up online and play it. It's quite fun. I, I can't do it. You have to kind of have, a lot of the Hebrew words are up here. It's like, I'm not going to do that today because it's not fair on the people on the front row. But tam, when you look into this word, it's not just about tasting. It's what the author wants us to see is this kind of full-body experience. Don't just understand God with your mind. Understand it with your whole body. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have that experience with all of your senses. Attest to, understand, see that the Lord is good. Use all of you have, all that you have. And then the other two words there are really interesting. Um, see and good. I wonder if you recognize them from anywhere else in the, in the Old Testament. We know in Genesis 1, chapter 1, and if you haven't read this, come and chat to me at the end. It's all good. I can explain it to you. God creates the world, and at each stage, and at the end of each day, he sees what he's created and says, it is good. It is good. And David, or the writer, uses the same words, ra and tov. It is good. And this isn't just good like, oh, like I went to Smash Burger yesterday and that burger was really good. This isn't like finger licking good like KFC. This is a deep good. This is a good that restores that creation. A good that points back to when the world was perfect, when God was in perfect relationship with man. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a whole body experience. This isn't just an ethereal thing. This is your whole being, your whole body. Taste and see 
that the Lord is good. And so the second journey that I went on, the Camino, the walk a few weeks ago, I'd love to say that our pilgrimage was a lovely um, walk in the sunshine around northern Spain. And that's kind of what you picture, isn't it, when you go on pilgrimage and you see all the photos of people in front of the cathedral. But actually, it was really hard. Um, and we looked at the weather forecast like the week before we went, and it had been 32 degrees the week before, but it was rain every single day. Not just a little bit of rain, you know, like a little shower, like literally it rained and it rained. I remember walking down a road and it was like a waterfall coming towards me. And you know, you often try and avoid puddles and walk around them. Well, the whole road was a puddle. I was literally covered uh, in rain. And so that kind of put a bit of a vibe on the trip. Then um, we'd had a few people that were ill and we'd had a few challenges, but, but God was good and God was speaking to us throughout. And I remember this one morning, I got up early and I thought, I'm going to do some extra prayer. Come on, Dan. You're a leader. You've got to pray for the people. So I got up early, went for a, a bonus walk. And I prayed to God and I said, God, in amongst all of this challenge, I know that you're working. And I know that what's happening is good. I know that pilgrimage is about the journey and not the destination. But it's really hard. But would you give me the opportunity today to, to see, to taste and see that you are good? Would you give me the opportunity to share my faith with someone else this week? Well, the young adults got up. Tim and Kate got up eventually. <laughs> eventually. More on that later. And, <clears throat> and we, went, we went for our walk, and it was one of those days where we had our hoods up the whole day. And you know when it's raining and you've got your hood up, it feels like you're in a tunnel the whole time, like you can't talk to anyone. Um, it's just full on. Um, but for a very smattering of time, a small amount of time, for a very brief glimpse... It stopped raining. We took our hoods down, and one of the young adults, Nadine, climbed up on this bank, and there was this wonderful lemon tree, and these lemons looked like heaven. They were bright yellow. She climbed up on the bank with her backpack on, which was a bit unsafe, took one of the lemons down, and Tim, being the kind of guy he is, a good boy scout, got a pen knife out of his pocket, and we cut the lemon open, and um, we tasted it. It wasn't like a night out, you know, with tequila and salt. It wasn't any of that stuff. Um, this is being recorded, isn't it? Sorry about that. Um, we... We, we don't do any of that stuff, but, but I remember tasting this lemon, and to be honest, it wasn't quite right, but it was so bitter, but it, it kind of knocked my head back. It made me present in the moment. It was, a, it was a wonderful thing, and we took the bits of lemon, like shook them into our drinks, and, and what it said to me was, like, when you're on these journeys, when you're going through life, sometimes you've got to stop and taste the lemons. Point one, God is working amongst the ruins. Point two, don't forget to taste the lemons. And that's what we see in the life of David when he says this phrase, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't forget to taste the lemons. Don't forget when life's difficult to stop, pause and notice and give thanks for all of the stuff that you have, all the stuff that God has done, all of the things that God has given you. Don't forget to taste the lemons. And you know what happened at the end of that day? Remember in the morning I prayed that we'd get an opportunity to show our face, faith. Well, often pilgrims would join us, so we'd have our team meetings at the end of the day of all the young adults, and um, we were sat around, and Tim and Kate were there. Probably Kate was leading that night, and it was wonderful. Um, people were becoming Christians all over the place. No, not really. But um, we, we had this meeting, and, and this, this couple, um, an auntie and an, a niece from um, Italy joined us, and at the end of the day, we asked the young people, where have you seen God at work today? Where have you seen God at work today? And Tim does this at work, like we do this regularly in our team meetings. I encourage you to do the same. Ask yourself every day, where have I seen God at work today? 
And that's what we did. And different people went round and shared. And then right at the end, um, this, this Italian couple like shared a little bit about their Camino, about their journey. They, they weren't Christians, but they were kind of exploring the Christian faith. And at the end, me and Kate got to go up to them and, and stand and pray with them and got to share a little bit about the Christian faith. Don't forget to taste the lemons. However, however hard it's raining, however difficult life is, God is working in the ruins. Taste and see that God is good. Don't forget to taste the lemons. And the third thing, we're nearly done. Tell stories of what God has done. Verse 5 says, look at him and be radiant. Look at him and be radiant. And it's interesting, this psalm, like I said, David structured it, or the writer structured it, a specific way. There's a rhythm. There's a cadence. It kind of follows, and and I'd encourage you to read it later, it follows this kind of two-stage understanding that that God answers prayer, and as that happens, you become more radiant. As God answers prayers, you're like, wow, those lemons taste good. God is good. And that makes you more radiant, and then leads you further into prayer and propels you into mission, propels you into change, propels you into a different life. So just to recap, God works amongst the ruins. We reflect, we notice what God has done in our lives, and then we're propelled into mission, tell stories of what God has done. The third story, the third journey starts on my holiday in Wales in a car. Now, I don't like sat-navs, I don't like maps, I'm dyslexic, I always get lost. In fact, if I go to a shopping centre, um, like Blue Water or one of them, um, I don't come to Watford much, Into Watford, is it called? Is it called Into? I did go there once. Yeah, yeah thanks. It's contextualisation, Johnny. Right? I, I come out of a shop and then walk back the same way I've just come. I don't know what it is, but does anyone else do that? Is it just me? Oh, thank you so much. I feel so much better. And so I always, always get lost. And my wife knows this. She's just at the back there. She's lovely and she's incredibly gracious. But this one journey, I loaded up the sat-nav and um, we're in the middle of nowhere in Wales and we start the journey and after about two minutes, the road is closed. But you know what it's like when you're in the middle of nowhere? Like if the road to nowhere is closed, then you're kind of screwed. Like how are you going to get to where you're going? Now, I'd been on a, a bike ride. Like I got into bike riding because I'm middle-aged now and that's what we do when you're middle-aged. And um, so I'd been on a bike ride that week and I said, Alex, don't worry. I know the way. There's this special farm track that we can drive down, and I think it will get us back to Bedfordshire. It'll be completely fine. So, so what I did was um, we drove up this hill, and I could tell that she thought it was a terrible idea, and she was very gracious and all of that. So we start driving up this track, and it gets thinner and thinner. Um, I had to open a gate, which is never a good sign when you're driving along a road, to, to get through. Then we opened another gate. Then there were like sheep, like literally everywhere, um, crossing the road. And it took us 20 minutes just to get up the hill. And then as we went past the sheep, I heard this noise on the bottom of my car. It was like bang, bang. (laughs) And basically, I drove over this rock that was protruding in the road. And I I, I ruined the whole, you know, like the undercarriage of the car, like just completely torn up, like all of the trays and all that stuff. As I drove away, like it was clattering. It was scratching along the floor. Alex, bless her, was still incredibly gracious. She's a wonderful woman, but I could tell what she thought. I could tell. The way she turned the radio up, The way she moved her chair, I knew she was angry. (laughs) 
So we pulled over into this Welsh village, and uh, I got under the car with some cable tyres and did whatever you do. I said, look, it's all fixed now, love. It absolutely wasn't fixed. It was still rattling. But we managed to get home. The problem was, that evening, we were supposed to be leading this discipleship group at our church. And it's a really great group, but what often happens at our church, I go to church in Luton, it's great. It's a bit chaotic. Like, some weeks, maybe like 15 people would turn up, and some weeks, no one shows up. So um, I was praying and hoping, I don't know if you've ever done this in ministry, but I was praying that no one would turn up that night. I'm sorry, but that was what I did. And I prayed, I said, Alex, just try and like put something in the group like, so that people don't come or just try and find a way. Like, we, we, we haven't got time. You know, this five-hour journey had taken 10 hours. Um, of course, we'd stop for lunch on the way back because that's what you do on long journeys. The problem was two people were available. Now, that's awkward, right? Because you'd rather none were available than, than a few. So in the end, we decided to make a new plan. And I said, look, we've got to run it. We got into the house, ran upstairs, put our daughter to bed, had some food, and then literally turned the screen on. I'm still eating. And this couple come on. And I'm going to call them Warren and Amy and, and their son, Andrew. I've changed their names, but they give me permission to share the story. And it's really interesting, their journey. He's a barber in Luton. And um, they live in a single room in a house in Luton. They've got a little like bedsit type thing. And um, whenever they're on the call, it's always quite chaotic. Like their son's running around on the bed, like grabbing the phone, screaming. And I love that. Like I love kids. We, you know, we planted a church aimed at kids. But um, equally, when you're trying to run a meeting, it was a bit of a challenge. And, um, and I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do today, guys? We're not going to do like the videos or have any long discussion. I'm just going to share a story from the Bible and then we'll have a bit of discussion and then we'll pick it back up next week. Is that all right? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. So, a story I chose to tell that I felt like God said that I should tell, is the story of the prodigal son. Now, if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, come and chat to me at the end. I'd love to tell it to you. It's the best one. Um, and and so, um, so I told the story, and I changed it a little bit. I kind of put Warren into the story. So he was like the son. He was like a naughty boy that went off to Las Vegas and um, ran away from his father. And, and I told the story, and, and as we finished, I said, that's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. Now, what was really interesting at this moment was that despite all of the usual chaos, when I was telling the story, they were completely silent. No noise at all. And I thought that they were muted, but actually they weren't. And I said, Amy, is, is everything okay? Like, are you guys all right? Like, what did you make of the story? And it was like she was still frozen, but the internet was working. I could see because they were moving. And she said, Dan, that, that story is so profound. There's nothing wrong with us. I'm just taking it all in. I can't believe that God loves us that much. I've never heard that story before. I can't believe that God loves us that much. Tell stories of what God has done in your life. Whatever you face today, however hard, however difficult it is, God is with you. He will redeem you. He has redeemed you. And he wants to redeem you. Second thing, don't forget to taste the lemons. Don't forget to notice what God has done. Because when I was walking along and it was raining really hard, I had my head down. But when we notice what God's done, it lifts our head up. It makes us more radiant. We shine. And that, in turn, points people in the direction of him. And when you do that, tell stories of what God has done in your life. Be radiant. 
this story about the prodigal son has changed the way I do evangelism. It's changed the way I tell people about Jesus. I used to try and be really articulate and have a really well put together argument as to why someone should follow Jesus. But all I do now is tell stories from the Bible because Jesus put it far better than me.